Before there was Bo, Brett, or even Barry, there was Pat. Live from the Park Bank ESPN Madison Studios, you're listening to The Pat Richter Show with Jim Rutledge and former Wisconsin Athletic Director Pat Richter. Show on 100.5 ESPN, ESPN app, and Wisconsin on demand. Jim Rutledge with you live from the Park Bank ESPN Madison Studios. Brought to you in part by Simden Chevy in Mount Horeb. You're only minutes away from a better buying experience at Simden Chevy in Mount Horeb. I've had better buying experiences there. Dan and his team out there, uh, including Aaron B. Gotta, apparently, got to make sure I talk about the right Aaron out there now. There's two of them. They do a great job. If you're in the market for a new Silverado or Colorado. Find them. They will get you in one, and you're only minutes away from a better buying experience. I know that. You can know that. Pat, how are you doing today? Doing great, Jim. How are you? I can't complain, even though the Bucks uh, lost a tough game last night. It was a game where they just looked a little gassed. So I do have optimism that they're still in this series, and what the old adage is is the series doesn't start until the uh, road game or excuse me, the road team wins a away game. Yeah, you know, everybody that you run across today kind of has the same feeling. They disappointed, but uh, not uh, too badly, and they feel that this is kind of the, their M.O. You know, they got to be just every time that they get into a tournament game and whatever, it's uh, lose the first game, look terrible, kind of lethargic, not really much animation there. Even with uh, Giannis back, they didn't really do very well. And uh, and then you uh, you get into the next game, you pull the next game off, and it really turns around quite quickly. But I think that you know this is a kind of a really a very difficult thing you can get into. When you start to twist things like this, and you think, well, don't worry about the first game; it's going to happen. Well, all of a sudden, if it doesn't happen the second game, then you're two down, then you're really in deep trouble because you can't really get the home field advantage until you win one on the road, and so. This would be, I think, the fact that it was relatively close all the time, at least the parts uh, that I took a look at and be a pay attention to, is uh, just seemed like it was, you know, three points, three points here, point, all of a sudden we get a slip away. But the thing that really kind of gets you is the fact that they missed so many layups. I mean, little small tip-ins, and there was one sequence, I think, of like three or four different types of uh, tips that just never went in. And uh, and you can't just uh, you know, dismiss those types of things. The other thing about it, quite frankly, I, I just really was, I mean, this is almost makes it unwatchable. I thought that the, the refereeing and the officiating was horrible. Uh, you know, you can see in the underneath the basket when Giannis gets inside there, or Middleton, they're banging their bodies, or boom, 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 and then you go down the other end, and somebody just touches somebody and Booker and whatever, and they get in to shoot the line. The fact that they had 25 free throws to I think it was eight or ten for the Bucks really tells the whole story, and that's really the, as far as I'm concerned, the, the whole the whole match. And uh, but I think that from uh, secondly. Is for example, uh, we we take a look at this and we want to pay attention to Bucks, but you play games like that and you have officiating like that, it really kind of sours everybody just on the whole 
they kind of t- it's a self-fulfilling prophecy. You think, well, no reason to turn into it until about the last three minutes, and that gets to be the way it was. So I think that uh, certainly they, they they needed Giannis, but uh, I think that the fact that they they can sort these things out with the first game and Budenholzer can kind of say, well, this is what we need to do and relay it out on the line. I don't think it's the saying, well, well, I hope you guys do it. This is something where he's got to just lay it down and say this is the way it's got to be if, in fact, the coach is going to be in control of that and his job is on the line. Yeah, and there's a lot of good points in there, Pat, and I'm expecting just as how the finals go. Uh, when, I, when I see Milwaukee play in Milwaukee, they get some calls. Every team at home, how the NBA calls it, is that home team gets the calls, especially in game one. But more than that, Pat, a big part of it was the Bucks never adjusted to, to the, the Suns, whether it was Booker or Paul, basically setting it up where they were going to get Connington or Portis or Lopez in a one-on-one on a switch. The Bucks every single time, would switch and then get burned, and Chris Paul got points at will. Yeah, and it seemed like they had just about everybody uh, guarded Paul at one point or the other. I mean, Giannis was in there. I mean, you get into a, a two-man switch, and all of a sudden you switch, and then all of a sudden uh, Chris Paul is open, and towards the end of the game got those mid-range jumpers, and he was very effective in that regard. So you get experienced players like the guys have been around a long time, and you just you think that they will do it from an offensive standpoint, but also your standpoint. With, well, I don't think switching things like this that normally they would do under any circumstances, and get a game like this, all of a sudden you end up with a mismatch, and then it really gets in trouble. So, uh, but I do think that the, you know that as bad as it was, and bad as you might think it was, the fact that it was a 13-point game or whatever, and. Uh, it's really not that bad, and I think that uh, certainly gives you some hope in that regard. And they had to play one of their best games and get uh, a little bit of protection to to get the you know, get the victory. But uh, I think there's a lot of positive things that they and the Brewers can do to make that thing go away and be uh, much more effective the next time. So, uh, but I think it's a big game. I think this is the second game. Really, in many in many cases, ends up to be kind of like. You know the the game of the the, the seven game series is the most the pivotal game because once you get down two games and you start going on the road and they're playing with you they can know they can always go home back to their own home court and uh, and be on uh, one game ahead and uh, that's always the trouble when you get the victory on the road then it sets in a little bit of a question mark in their own mind and that's really important. Yeah, there's a, a lot of ways the the Bucks are still in this series. Suns look deeper, and with Giannis, uh, not 100%. Let's talk about Giannis for a second. He looked great in the first half. Second half, it looked like maybe fatigue and the injury caught up with him a little bit. That's something that adrenaline wore off. But uh, I'm curious to see how Giannis continues to bounce back now game after game. Because that team, in general, Pat, looked a little gassed. The, the Suns, yeah, they had a long rest. and They could have been rusty, but that's out the window now. Suns are happy. They are almost a week off. The Bucks have been grinding out. Uh, some tough series uh, since they've been facing Brooklyn. Yeah, you always think that you want to continue to play as long as you're on a roll, and the role that they had, of course, is kind of the ultimate. And I think if you're on that kind of a situation, you want to continue to play because you seem to have really everything pretty much in order. And that just doesn't necessarily play out. I think that once the team that's had some rest has had a chance to kind of get the cobwebs out and play well like they did with the Phoenix, that really kind of gets them a little bit of an advantage. And I think that, uh, 
you know, with Giannis, uh, we, I didn't realize, I hadn't thought that uh, it was as long as it was, but it was actually 10 games, 10, 10 days, that uh, it's one thing to have the knee feel good. It's another thing to have tested it and to have uh, ran a little bit and do things. They probably were in, in some kind of a immersion pool with respect to water, which is not certainly the same situation as banging the knee on the, on the floor with the, uh, with the court. And so that uh, maybe need to space him, but that's maybe not such a bad thing. I think they proved that they could do it before, and it's not going to be such a big, a big adjustment with regards to what they do the next time because uh, they know that they they won games without him. And so putting him in the role that he's comfortable with in terms of, I think the worst thing for him is to try to drive to the basket because there's a lot of twisting and turning and things like this. And if you're not going to get the calls, you're just going to get beat up, and it's really kind of beaten up against yourself. So I think that uh, they're going to make a lot of adjustments in the second game, and I think certainly that's something that uh, that uh, Phoenix has got to uh, keep an eye on. They, they know that the Brewers have been very effective in the, in the subsequent games, not necessarily the first game. They've kind of always uh, played poorly, not very well, and they've adjusted and done, done exceptionally well. So that's something in the back of their mind. So they've got to know that. And so they'll put a little bit of pressure on them. I think they're young, certainly. They uh, get very effective. But uh, the Brewers, uh, once they know, excuse me, the uh, Bucks, when they know what they have to do, that's, uh, I think they're much more effective. And they have a little bit of pressure on them, which they do now. That's probably the best position they can be in. Yeah, the ser- like, like we talked about. The Suns are supposed to win these two games. Even if they do, Bucks are not in too tough of a situation. It'll be what happens if they and when they lose a home game. That's when things will get interesting, the first team to do that. So uh, I do like the, the Bucks' chances here, but I do I just worry about the overall depth of this team when I watch Phoenix just when you go to Bridges, uh, who I've liked back since Villanova days, uh, to you have Jay Crowder, to campaigns put in minutes. They're just a deeper team because the Bucks kind of stop as far as uh, depth you can count on at Bobby Portis because Connington hasn't done much. Jeff Teague isn't very good at all. The Vincenzo's hurt. So especially in that backcourt, the, the, that wear on Middleton and, and Holiday and who can give them minutes after that is still a question mark to me. Yeah, well, the one thing for sure, it shows that if, uh, if it doesn't work out this year, they know what they have to do for next year with respect to building that team a little bit stronger. Certainly, DiVincenzo makes a big difference in there, and uh, they can help out in that regard. But, uh, you know, we're probably pushing uh, Lopez to the limit with respect to the amount of uh, contribution he can make, and he's still a very effective player. But, you know, the biggest thing is to make sure that they – they, they, for whatever reason, I don't know whether it's thinking it's going to be very easy or whatever, but those easy baskets underneath there, those are just things you can't uh, you can't give up on. And I think if they'd have made probably four to six of those, it probably would have been a game that came right down to the wire, maybe even tied. And those are the things, regardless of everything happening, regardless of all the bitching and moaning we can make with respect to the officiating and things like this, if they just play solid basketball and make the shots that they should, a couple of good looks Holiday had, and he passed up on those. I think now it's just, again, one of those things. And maybe that's because of Giannis's presence, that they – once he's there, they're always looking for him and make him look a little bit differently. Sometimes it's more effective, and certainly they proved that against Atlanta. When he's not in there, that they do the things necessary to, to win the game, figuring, hey, we've got to step up our game because Giannis is not here. Once he's there, it's a different ball game, and they have to prove themselves that they can play with, with him and without him. 
This is the Pat Richter Show on 100.5 ESPN, ESPN app, and Wisconsin On Demand. On the air, on demand, on social, on Wisconsin sports. Serving Wisconsin sports fans. This is 100.5 ESPN. If you need to protect your home or business, there's only one call to make, JK Security Solutions. At JK, they work hard to protect the things that matter most in your life. For more information, call 255-799 or visit jksecurity.com. This is the Pat Richter Show. I'm 100.5 ESPN, ESPN app, and Wisconsin On Demand, live from the Park Bank ESPN Madison Studios. We now have Barry Richter uh, joining us on the air along with Pat Richter as we continue uh, hockey talk here in the second segment of the show. And uh, obviously the Stanley Cup finals are going on. Cole Caulfield, I saw, got an assist the other night. So, guys, I'll let uh, Pat, I'll let you take it away. Uh, you guys can talk some hockey. Okay, thanks, Jim. Well, Barry, the, uh, certainly we saw the result of what happened the other night, but uh, probably the biggest news for a team like uh, Montreal is the fact that they made that big uh, change in their lineups uh, with uh, with Cofield and guys moving around a little bit. So, what did you think of that? And what what do you how do you what do you read into that in terms of shuffling the lines? In terms of well, maybe the fans would like to know in terms of when you do that sort of thing. What's what's the thinking behind it? Well, I think as uh, Coach Ducharme of Montreal, when he looked at that line, just wasn't getting enough offense, and they're also maybe just not, uh, they're turning the puck over a little bit, and they, were, they weren't, um, you know, establishing the forechecks. So they moved up Josh Anderson to play with Cole Caulfield and Suzuki and took off Tyler Toffoli in that line, and you, and you saw two goals right from Anderson in, in game four. And then especially the overtime winner, Caulfield, they had a couple assists, and, and Suzuki had a great uh, saucer pass to Anderson for the first goal. So sometimes when you got to do that, you've got to change it up, and, and you got to see something. you got to maybe light some energy at the players, um, you know, the players that get moved up, and, and, and maybe the players that get moved down. So it's just a reaction, and, and in this case, it worked out. Sometimes it doesn't always work out, but in this case, it did, and and I think it's just good for Montreal to at least get one game under their belts and, and just continue to play desperate hockey. We talked a little bit about this the other day, but uh, for my mind, I guess maybe a little bit sensitive in terms of uh, big on the officiating and things like this, but that the breakaway that kind of uh, stirred the uh, the tie, tie goal tie goal with uh, with uh, the uh, the Tampa Bay team uh, was with Maroon. And it just sort of seemed to me that he kind of gave the defenseman kind of a little bit of an elbow and shift and knocked him off his pins. They didn't seem to complain about it, but it sort of looked like it was interference, and especially if something's so important, you'd think maybe they'd, they'd challenge it. And whether Can they challenge that kind of call? They do, they do check for the offside and things like this, but in terms of missing a call like that, uh, is there anything you can do about it? No, they they can't challenge that. And it, and it was a... If you look at it and break it down, it, 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 there was a little chip there and where he hit his, his hips, and then all of a sudden, he, you know, uh, Anderson got a little bit uh, of, a, of a of a break and, and got in there, and so it was uh, that kind of thing. It's just, it just happens so fast, right? And you see it in football all the time, where there's a little chip here and there where it just gets someone off their you know momentum, and that's what happened. And uh, it wasn't a clear cut penalty, so I don't think they could call it. As, uh, as there's ice there to be gained, and he had momentum, and I only had a couple angles to look at it, but all in all, usually if it's a real bad interference, they're going to call that right away. And uh, and so I thought it was a good non-call. I mean, it's it's, it's the, per, the the defenseman was a little bit weaker where he was, and and in terms of just gaining ice, uh, you know, Anderson definitely had the upper hand there. 
do you think that Tampa Bay, uh, you got their best shot from them the other night? Thinking, you know, I think from the standpoint of winning championships, you always like to do it at home and things like that. And now they have that opportunity, uh, and it's going to be pretty hard for Montreal uh, to do that. And do you think that this this game is going to be as chippy as the others and maybe more physical? Certainly, Montreal has picked up their game in terms of physicality, and uh, I'm not sure they can match it, but. Uh, you have to make sure you stay out of the penalty box. And with uh, you can just see Shea Weber uh, in terms of what happened when you get in the penalty box in a game like that important. I think he figured it was all over when they went on five on four for four minutes. Yeah, he looked like he saw a ghost when he went in the penalty box. He, you know, four minutes is a long time, and you know, they happened at the end of regulation. And I believe they had about three minutes in overtime. And he's one of the he's one of the one of the best penalty killers. So not only do you have a four minute uh, penalty kill you got to do, but you're taking one of your best penalty killers and stronger defensemen off the ice. And so for Montreal to come back, that was just uh, phenomenal for them to get the overtime winner and and Carey Price. He's a big reason for this. He uh, anytime the penalty kill is doing is doing well, it's because the goalie is making the saves and also making those really tough saves and the second saves that maybe could be goals. He, uh, Carey Price definitely played well in that. And they're going to need that in game five when you go there. And you talked about, uh, Dad, you talked about the physicality that Montreal brought. I mean, they, they were hitting everything and anything in that game four in Montreal. And they have to continue to do that because once that puck drops and the adrenaline is flowing and you're going to be playing in front of 21,000 fans in the Emily uh, Arena down in Tampa Bay, you're going to have to weather the storm and you're going to have to fight physical versus physical and making sure that, uh, you know, it wears people down. It wears teams down. And so it's going to be a dog fight tonight. You see the mayor already gave some press clippings about how they, uh, they were, she was glad the mayor of Tampa Bay, that she was glad that they lost in Montreal and they were going to do it anyways to lose in Montreal so they could bring it back home and win in front of their fans. So you got some press clippings and some good drama heading into game five. Well, you always like locker room uh, material, but uh, they probably feel that they had a kind of a second, uh, third, nine lives, cat with nine lives when Kucherov missed that little knock in there at the side of the goal. I mean, that's just is something usually guys like that don't uh, don't miss. And he probably, maybe it was too easy of a play, but maybe you can spend for a couple minutes and get away from the uh, Stanley Cup a little bit and uh, and tell uh, maybe the folks be interested in terms of. We hear a lot about players going over to Europe and playing over there, and uh, that you did that after the NFL, NHL. I mean, and there's a lot of players over there right now. Uh, why don't you maybe just explain a little bit about how how they can play over there and the nationality and things like this, and in, uh, in, in Europe. Yeah, it's really interesting. It's uh, when you go over there, it's uh, they only allow a certain amount of imports, quote unquote. That's what you're called. So you maybe have three or four imports uh, that can play on a German team or Swiss team or Swedish team that are allowable. And that sort of lets the nationals get to play in the, uh, the, the professional league. So a lot of pressure as you are import, you're there to produce. Um, it is a great, uh, it's a great way to, to keep on playing the game and play a different type of game. It's, it's on a Olympic ice sheet. So the game is a little bit more open and, when I went back in the 2000s, it was uh, it was it was very different than the NHL game, and then all of a sudden you start to see the transformation and, and the rules of the NHL became more European, where you could not clutch and grab, and you gave the 
the skilled players a lot more ice to to do what they could do out there. And the Crosbys were just starting to come in the in the in the game. And and you saw the game in the NHL get a lot better. The fighting diminished a little bit, even though I think there's a good the good spot for that to be still in the league. And there's certain points in time where you do need to have that uh, honor factor within the game. But over overseas, it's a, uh, it is a really good game. It's, it's very intense. It's very fast. It's not as physical because you have such a wide rink and you can't really hit as much because you're going to go out of your way. But it, the game itself is very, very skilled. And it's just a good way to, to go and see different cultures. And I, I, I really enjoyed my, my seven years overseas in Sweden and Switzerland. My uh, the other night we saw that one of the uh, players got uh, got his face all barked up a little bit with the high stick that uh, Weber uh, put on the uh, Tampa Bay Lightning guy, and uh, maybe just explain also that the rules regarding shields and masks and and no masks and things like this, and maybe what you saw when you first came up. Yeah, so I actually I played with the last guy that uh, Craig McTavish was the, the last player in the NHL to not wear a helmet, if you can actually imagine that. And, and that was in the 1994 Stanley Cup that the Rangers won, where McTavish was on that team, and I was a I was a black ace. And so if you can imagine, you know that's that's a long ways away from that. Where now players, you, you know, everyone has to wear a helmet, and actually everyone that is young that's coming in the league has to do a half shield. And so you, you see a predominant. Uh, players, a lot of players are wearing the half shields. I think there's maybe only five or three percent that do not, that are very, very old school that that do not wear a half shield, and they got grandfathered in. So the game is very fast. There's a lot, of, a lot of things going on in terms of the the sticks flying and the pucks flying, and and it's a safety thing. And you see the evolution, whether it's baseball or with the netting down the third base and the first baseline, or you see the netting around the ice rinks and where things are just, the players are just bigger, faster, stronger, and the puck is moving that much faster. And so it's a good thing for everyone to be wearing something that protects their eyes. And as you can see, it's it, no matter what, even if you do have a half shield on, you're still going to get some cuts and broken noses here and there and some zippers. But that's, a, that's what playoff hockey is all about. Well, the in the college ranks, uh, I know there's always a lot of discussion regarding face masks and a full either plex, uh, plastic face mask, uh, plexiglass, or there was a wire mask. Uh, what are your thoughts on that? With re- actually, most people believe that that everybody respected the fact that you didn't have a lot of protection on the face and didn't have the sticks up in the air when you when you have the, the full face shield and as well as the wire mask. They kind of disregard that and figure you can't get hurt, and so it's a it's a much more physical game in that sense of terms of your uh, work around your face. Well, there is a level of uh, honor and respectability when you do not have a full cage on your face. And so you'll see players that do not, uh, they hit with their shoulders, they're not hitting in heads or their sticks are down. And you do have that level of just, uh, you know, being a little more cautious with your sticks where the college game, they have full cages on and, and you do see a lot of high sticks that are, that are hitting the cage. And, as an athletic department, I, I think it's a it's a good thing in terms of uh, I'm sure they they're glad that there is there is not uh, half shields allowable. I mean, it's just uh, these kids are going to get cut. There's no reason to even put on a half shield until you're turning pro. To, in my opinion, I know the USHL was a, which is the breeding ground to the uh, to the college ranks and to the NHL it does have half shields. And these kids are 17, 18. They're still in high school and. And, you know, there's this – I always think that uh, until you turn pro, then you can put the half shield on. There's no reason to keep the cage on. 
I mean, like I said, a lot of kids do not understand where their sticks are going. And so I'm guessing the athletic departments and the leagues in college are okay with that just in terms of liability-wise and just keeping injuries down where these kids are they have the full cage on. Okay, well, thanks for the information, and we'll look forward to uh, next week and wrapping up the Stanley Cup. Jim? Yeah, thanks, Barry, for hopping on. Pat, we'll keep you for next week or next segment with Sounds of the Week. This is the Pat Richter Show brought to you in part by Stoughton Health. Nobody plans on getting injured, and when you do, you need help to get back on track. Stoughton Health has rehab locations in Stoughton and Oregon, so it's convenient for you to recover. Learn more at StoughtonHealth.com. Stoughton Health, creating excellence together. This is the Pat Richter Show, 100.5 ESPN, ESPN app, and Wisconsin. You're listening to Medicine's Home for Milwaukee Bucks Basketball. Middleton to Giannis, caught it, slam it! 100.5 ESPN and Wisconsin On Demand. Park Place offers seniors and their loved ones peace of mind. Find the right balance of care that you need centered around your lifestyle. Move to a community with neighbors that begin that become family. Enjoy the comforts of your apartment with abundance of events just outside your door. Choose the fit that is right for you from independent living to assisted living, memory care, and short-term rehabilitation. Oak Park Place with locations on Madison's east side in the Nakoma neighborhood, Janesville, and Baraboo. Visit oakparkplace.com to learn more. This is the Pat Richter Show. Time now for Sounds of the Week. What did she say? These are the Sounds of the Week on the Pat Richter Show. Brought to you by Simden Chevrolet and Mount Horeb. You're only minutes away from a better buying experience. Pat, let's get rolling with Sounds of the Week. Alex, let's go. Let's party. Let's start with the honest, Pat. Yeah, I know we talked about him before, but I, I just got to hear from him because coming back from that injury only a week after it happens is just crazy to me. Here's Giannis after his 20.17 rebound performance in his return. I had my balance, so my knee was stable, um, did not feel pain, so I felt good. He feels good. My question for you, Pat, is, is this guy a superhuman? Is he a robot? How does somebody come back from that in just a week and do that? Well, I think, as I mentioned earlier, it's a question of the position the knee was in. When you say hyperextended the knee, that's kind of front-to-back type of situation. When you have the real ligament damage, it's lateral when we're moving left and right. And with him, uh, I think the biggest thing was the fact that you have to rest it. You can't run, run on it very much. You may probably did some water or rehabbing, things like this. But the problem is, as it was indicated, was it going to be getting tired because you just haven't uh, continued to be in condition in terms of running up and down the floor. So uh, I think he was probably right. It was probably one of those things where when it happens, it kind of gives you a little bit of a startle. But uh, certainly with his conditioning as he's done, the discipline as he is, uh, he probably looked, then they've got modern technology that they can do to, to help heal that. Uh, I think he's going to be even better the next time. And, uh, and so I think that they, 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 didn't, they weren't going to do anything that's going to hurt his knee any further. And that's what it'll look like in the game. I agree. What's next? 
Let's go to Aaron Rodgers because when can't we? Uh, Earlier this week, Aaron Rodgers Uh uh, spoke with ESPN's Ben Baby and talked about being strategic when you speak. Here's Rodgers. Sometimes the loudest person in the room is not the smartest person. Sometimes the loudest person in the room is not the person who has all the facts on their side or the truth on their side. Sometimes there's a lot of wisdom in silence. Sometimes there's a lot of wisdom in being selective on what you say. And I assume that is being selective about what he says, Aaron Rodgers. How do you read that one, Pat? I'll tell you, one of the most difficult things he's got is to make sure he says the right <laughs> word. Every time they give a question, he's trying to say more than he probably would like to say, but he's also got to be very careful as to the way the words are sent. That one is, is probably for a Ph.D. level, you know, in terms of figuring that one out from a psychology standpoint. I think he's toying with everybody a little bit in terms of I think he certainly understands what he's going to do and uh, just, just doesn't want to, wants to do it on his own timetable and, uh, and trying to enjoy himself and trying to, do, like I say, kind of plays peace with himself type of thing. But uh, I don't think he's going to offer up much of any indication as to what's going to happen, certainly not uh, something that's on a national basis anyway. So I think we're just going to have to sit and wait and, uh, and try to just not read too much into it because I think he's just smoking a lot of smoke screens. Yeah, it, it, I don't know. If it's, yeah, smoke screens are just really making sure he's not giving up anything. You think Rodgers is a good poker player because he's really good at not showing his cards is what, is what we've learned uh, so far during this experience. Next, we're going to go to the match, Pat, which was yesterday. Did you have the opportunity to watch that with Bryson DeChambeau, Aaron Rodgers, Phil Mickelson, and Tom Brady at all? I did. It was getting to be kind of hard to watch. It was just it seemed like a little bit too much uh, – conversation and uh, I think uh, that that's a good format for Phil. Phil likes to play the, those kinds of uh, games and things like this and so I think they're just trying to get in everybody's head is 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 the real deal and uh, and I know Aaron loves going to a game of golf he works with Andy every time he gets a little pick Andy's brain Andy North's brain I think yeah. he will but uh, that put a lot of pressure on him because certainly he didn't want to uh, play second fiddle to Tom Brady, that's for sure. And he certainly didn't winning it. Now let's go to a clip of that conversation you were referencing. Brian Anderson on the call speaking with Aaron Rodgers about uh, who's going to be under center for the Packers this year. Packers-Bears, any idea who's going to be there? Anybody who's going to be quarterbacking in the number 12 jersey? Yeah, I don't know, B.A. Let's see. How about, we? how about September 12th then? How, will you go for that one? What's that one? <laughs> that would be the, the opener against the Saints. Oh. All cheesers resort, rejoice. Yeah, I don't know, B.A. We'll see. Okay. I know you're a Milwaukee guy. Yeah, we'll see. Uh, B.A. also calling Packers fans cheesers, which I don't know that I've ever heard before. But uh, again, Pat, Aaron Rodgers being... Very vague and, uh, and and confusing. We'll see. Do you see the standoff coming to a close anytime soon? Uh, not before. It has to be uh, towards the, end, the start of the season or the start of the training camp. And I think he probably, the only way that he can do what he wants to do probably would be to show up and, uh, and do the best job that he can and try to become a free agent next year and play it, play it that way. Uh, yeah, I think it certainly has gone long enough and people are – Getting get a little bit fed up with it. I somebody sent me a, 
happened to be from the Washington uh, team that I played with, sent me a note said that my relatives were in Wisconsin. And here was a, a car driving down the highway, and they saw the license plate, and they took a picture of the license plate, and it said Trade 12. <laughs> no and way. That's what it's gotten to. I mean, that's, somebody had to be awfully upset to go out and change their license plate during this whole fiasco. You know, uh, 10 years down the line when there's a different number 12, I think that's going to be an, an interesting <laughs> uh, interesting license plate that'll be offensive to that new player. But nonetheless, uh, last one for you, Pat, also from the match, but we're going to go to the other quarterback, Tom Brady poking some fun at Aaron Rodgers. Here's Tom Brady. I'm 30 yards away from Aaron, who's, you know, you know that the leader of the Packers, I think, uh, you know, so I'm going to be, I'm just watching his mannerisms. I'm studying. I'm, I'm out recruiting a little bit. Leader of the pack, I think. I, I got to ask you, Pat, I, I think I've come around on liking Tom Brady, the person. It's uh it's, it's been a weird transition from being the guy that was caught up in all those scandals with the Patriots, but I think I've come come around to enjoy Tom Brady. What do you, what's your opinion on Tom Brady? Well, I, I still have to, a ways to go. I'm still thinking a little bit of Michigan <laughs> in here, too, as well. True. So it's going to take a little bit of time. But, but he, probably, he, he probably, of all people, had to probably back off of things that he could have said that would have been a lot more exciting and interesting and and titillating that uh, he did, but he probably just had to bite his tongue because certainly he had a lot of ammunition for this one. But uh, I think that uh, it was made for good fodder. It was awful long, but I think that uh, the networks probably liked it, but it was just seemed like it was too much of the same sort of thing yesterday. Yeah. Um, one thing that I don't know if we have the sound of, I thought was interesting was when Charles Barkley jumped in to ask Aaron Rodgers about his Future. We do have that, Alex. I see you nodding your head there. Why don't you fire that up? Sure. Yeah, but I mean, I'm just having a good time out here with Tom. I'm trying to talk to him about it. He's going to keep playing or not, you know? Hey, hey Aaron, we go way back. You can just tell me. I'll keep it a secret. (laughs) (laughs) Hey, I promise I will not put it anywhere. Charles, I'll tell you this week in Tahoe. Charles really prying there. He'll tell him this week in Tahoe. That's the part that was interesting to me. So, Aaron well, seems to have a decision in his head. Yeah, I mean, he brought uh, he brought Charles into the work. Now Charles is going to get pecked uh, on by everybody and trying to, to say something. Right. And now that he knows, he's going to have to blank off and say, "I don't know a doggone thing." Right. I mean, it could have just been, it was just the wording of saying, "I'll tell you in Tahoe," which makes <laughs> me feel like Aaron's got a decision made. That could have just been a a random slip of. But Aaron does make a lot of slips, so that in my head was just like, "Wait, Aaron has." A decision as what he's going to do. He is very calculated, Jim. He, yes. he is. So that, that was just interesting to me. I don't know what Aaron's going to do. It doesn't make any sense he wouldn't play for the Packers. But at the same time, it just seems each passing day seems almost less and less likely. Well, I think it's going to have to go in pieces. You know, the first thing is going to have to maybe get back. And I don't think he wants to pull that uh, trigger any time soon because then he's going to have to explain, well, why did you wait this long? Why did you do this? I mean, if you said, okay, it's going to happen, this training camp opens up. Then he can get kind of get protection a little bit with respect to uh, being uh, in, 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 in immersed in the Packers' preparation for the season. This is the Pat Richter Show, 100.5 ESPN, ESPN app, and Wisconsin on the man. You're listening to Medicine's Home for Milwaukee Bucks basketball. Takes the three, good. 100.5 ESPN and Wisconsin on demand. Lately, I've been, I've been thinking. I want you to be happier. I want you to be happier. When the morning comes and we see what we've become, 
in the cold light of Welcome back to the Pat Rector Show, 100.5 ESPN, the ESPN app, and Wisconsin On Demand. Jim Rutledge with you live from the Park Bank ESPN Madison Studios with former Wisconsin Athletic Director Pat Richter. The Brewers, Pat, are on a, a men's hot streak here. They will start to – they were the beneficiary playing some, some teams either struggling uh, like the Cubs or not very good like the Pirates. They now have the Mets and the Reds, and I think the Mets again and the White Sox in there. So the Brewers will have a nice stretch to really figure out how good they are. They clearly look like the best team in the NL Central, though. Yeah, I think certainly that has to do with the pitching. I mean, the fact that they had three pitchers on the All-Star team, I think, is, is and probably could have had four, uh, really is uh, says an awful lot. I mean, that's, uh, that's something that's never happened before. And so... They really are uh, doing a, a great job, I think, moving people around. Some of the additions they've made have really made a big difference. Uh, they got a new first baseman just the, uh, yesterday, and uh, and uh, that's it was some left-handed hitter, and so that seems to be uh, the need right now. But certainly the pitching. I mean, I think we were just catching a part of the game this afternoon, and uh, unfortunately when Hader came in, you figure he's going to close it off and he gives up a home run to tie it up, and so now they're kind of extra innings. But uh, but I think that they've done a good job from the front office, and that's very important. And so, uh, you know, and, and Christian Yelich is probably not, you know, he's doing a little bit better, but uh, he's not having a great year. But uh, Navarez and Garcia and uh, Damas, uh, Urias, just all all the guys are kind of contributing. And I just uh, hope that it, uh, Vogelbach can get back because I think he adds an awful lot to that team, not only from a standpoint of bat, but also just from an enthusiasm and kind of a cheerleader on the bench. Yeah, and uh, Hayter did today give up a home run to the number nine hitter on his first swing. That was a little out of the ordinary. But uh, that bullpen, same tried and true for a few years now. Have starting pitching, obviously Woodruff and Burns have made a bigger difference, but have starting pitching that get you through six, let the bullpen carry the rest of the way. Yeah, that's uh, kind of interesting with the day, game today because you got seven. It's just a little bit different than that, but uh, that's the main the main thing. And I think it's it just gives you a whole different. You know, we gr- kind of grew up with a different kind of a game, but now you sit your situation just if, if starters can get to the sixth inning, everything is going to be fine because then you've got a great chance with respect to an inning here for each of the uh, three closers and and a little bit more in terms of uh, the, what they can do. Hated to give up Richards because he seemed to do some good things at times, but uh, I think first baseman, uh, right, left-handed hitting first baseman is really necessary. But uh, it's good to see them uh, make sure that they can handle the pitching because I think from a hitting standpoint, the hitters, you always want to get the, just an opportunity to get a one-run victory because with all the the pitching we've got, we should be able to shut it down with good ERAs and uh and that's going to be important for winning this game. It's going to be tough coming up with the Reds and a bunch of games. That that's a team that kind of makes you worry a little bit in terms of what they're doing. But uh, it's going to be tough all the rest of the season. But they've gotten a great self position. Yeah, Adamas was a good, obviously, acquisition. So you got to give uh, Stearns benefit of the doubt right now. Yeah, I think he's uh, he's not only been a uh, a good ball player on the field, but off the field, you can just sense it. You can see from pictures in the dugouts and things like this. He's a he's a team guy. He's a, he's a cheerleader. He's uh, he's certainly done much better. And it just goes to prove you that sometimes when things aren't going so well, just a change of scenery can make a big difference. I mean, he was hitting in the hundreds or so, one and one twenty, one thirty, or something like that. And now since he's been with the Brewers, hitting probably in the three hundred range. And uh, that's critical. And so, uh, especially when you get guys that are still out, like Kane and others, 
you need to have that kind of uh, backup on the bench to uh, come in and, and the trades and things like this that the front office is doing everything they can to make sure that we're successful. Changing gears here, Pat, before we wrap up the show, the name and likeness uh, is gaining steam. Uh, I saw what offensive linemen getting a deal for some barbecue place down in Arkansas. Uh, the Arkansas offensive line did. Uh, what are your thoughts early as you see some of these deals trickle in? The, uh, the NIL stuff? Yes. The one that I thought was, I just saw most recently, was probably the most uh, creative, and that uh, had to do with the, uh, the Miami, uh, University of Miami. That basically someone down there is going to give each of the uh, the uh, players five hundred dollars a month, and the ninety players it's going to be five hundred forty thousand dollars is going to be paid out by the by ninety uh, ninety players, and they're going to have the whole team. So, I think this is now almost getting to the point of betting on the the come in terms of can that five hundred forty thousand I mean, somebody could bounce out of that and have no idea, and you know, all of a sudden you got him locked up in a certain deal. I think that's more creative, but it's. I think this is the kind of situation we're into. It's going to be an awful lot of things flying around, and some of them are going to stick to the wall, some are not, but they're certainly going to be creative. There are, and I've seen already uh, a decent amount of uh, female sports uh, being able to get into this game as well, which is nice on some of the individual level. I think those twin uh, women basketball players, I can't remember the score right now, they got an endorsement deal together, I think with Cricket Wireless and a few others. So it, it is something that could be positively affecting multiple sports. Yeah, I think that the, for the most part, it just seems like more and more of the ADs that I've seen in the, the D1 ticker, which is a lot of information there, are saying that this is, uh, is something that they got their hands around. They feel much more comfortable about it. They understand that uh, if, if you're going to have to do this sort of thing, and uh, and they're uh, they're you're getting uh, they're getting what they thought they were going to get, and it's not as bad as maybe they thought, and so. But I, I would expect there's still going to be some glitches in the system. That's going to be something that sometimes it's going to be kind of hard to get your arms around it. Yeah, I mean, making sure these kids are getting fair uh, opportunities to uh, they're not being taken advantage of by the situations, I think that'll be something to watch out for. I'm still not sure exactly the process as far as how these different vendors are, are cleared or how that goes. I do know that the same, I had someone tell me, the same rules that apply no alcohol, no gambling, no CBD, things like that apply for the players as well, the same that apply for the schools. Yeah, I would think that's going to be the case. And then, But you know, when you start dealing with financial institutions, cars, things like this, where you can get a quid pro quo in terms of, you know, some kind of a, 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 a kind of an, a, you know, a, an appointment or something like this, and you can get the car, and you can all of a sudden you're going to have a, a better loan than somebody else and things like this. There's a lot of things out there that really don't meet the... Uh, smell test and so i think it's going to be a piece by piece basis and it's going to be something that's going to be very interesting to watch well pat as always we appreciate the time okay jim talk to you next week Thanks. this has been the pat richter show 100.5 espn the espn app and wisconsin on demand